It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jake Lisko, along with my co-host, James Rapine. And today, Locked On Bengals is presented by Pepsi, made for football watching. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season, and you've got a game coming up on a short week on Thursday. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Before we get into injury updates today and our last thoughts on the Bengals' season-opening heartbreaking loss, a quick reminder that you should follow James and myself and the podcast all on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL for me, at James Rapine for James, and at Lockdown Bengals. And that's especially pertinent on our mailbag days when we take questions on the Lockdown Bengals account. Today we're going to get started, James, with the injury report because it is incredibly crowded for this upcoming, the first short rest game of the 2020 NFL season between the Bengals and the Browns coming your way on Thursday night. Then we're going to go through our final thoughts On the Bengals' week one loss to the Chargers, we have heard from Zach Taylor, who's had a chance to watch tape. I've had a chance to rewatch the offense. The thoughts have generally had a chance to percolate, so we'll get into that for the rest of the show. As we're on a short week, we've got to transition quickly here to looking ahead to week two. The prominent notes on the injury report for the Bengals and the Browns today, which is an estimate, by the way, because neither team practiced today for the Bengals is Geno Atkins still didn't practice or wouldn't have practiced had they been on the field today. He's still dealing with that shoulder injury. Mike Daniels wouldn't have practiced as he powered through a groin injury, as mentioned by Sam Hubbard during his press conferences over the weekend. Xavier Suofilo expected to miss a few weeks for the Bengals as he injured his ankle in week one against the Chargers. And Sean Williams, still a non-participant in practice with that calf injury. The last note here, Randy Bullock, would have been limited if they were to have practiced today. He's listed with injuries to calves, and he said it was a left calf in his press conference yesterday, so hard to say what's going on with Bullock. It is hard to say. I think it's pretty telling that the Bengals and Zach Taylor said they don't plan on trying to sign a kicker on a short week, which, one, gives me a headache just trying to think about getting a guy through COVID-19 protocol, even someone on the practice squad, getting them – in Cincinnati, getting them ready to travel to Cleveland, being able to practice, all of that stuff. So, one, hopefully Bullock is good to go, even though some fans listening might cringe. What, what are you talking about? He missed a 31-yard field goal with the game on the line. Fine, but the reality is trying to replace him, injury or not, would be a nightmare on a short week. So if he can go on Thursday, I think that's a win for the Bengals, ironically. But, yeah, who knows what's going on with him. If it's as simple as cramping, 
get that man an IV, have him drink a bunch of Gatorade, eat some bananas, and get ready for Thursday because they're going to need him, and I'm expecting a a pretty close game in prime time, so they're going to need every point they can get. Really just an unfortunate situation there on his kick. You can see him pull up as he approaches the ball and doesn't even watch it after he kicks it. Something strange happened there, and you you hope he's okay because – the Bengals aren't going to do anything here unless they are absolutely forced to bring in a kicker. Like you said, James, Randy Bullock's going to be the kicker this year. So for better or worse, you better hope that he's healthy. The other notes here for the Bengals, Geo Atkins still a non-participant in practice and against a pretty beat up and not very good Chargers offensive line. The defensive line did not get home very much against Tyrod Taylor and the Chargers and a lot of people are pointing to the fact that, hey, they didn't have Geno Atkins. So that absence continues to matter. Even if you want to say it shouldn't come down to whether Geno is playing or not, it, it largely seems to be the case. And if he can't go this weekend, it could be tough for the Bengals to generate consistent pressure on Baker Mayfield with a defensive line that just got tired against the Chargers. It doesn't sound like I, – I would be surprised if he goes. Put it that way. I don't want to say it doesn't sound like he's going to go. Zach Taylor called him day-to-day, but he called him day-to-day last week and then ruled him out about two hours later. <laughs> you know, so we uh, we don't really know. We know it's a shoulder. And here's the reality. If Atkins can't go and you got a veteran like Mike Daniels who wouldn't have practiced Monday because of a groin that he's been battling, he played through it on Sunday – but he's not going to be 100% by Thursday. I mean, I would be shocked if he is. Now you're just you're, you're thin there. And that's that's scary, man, on a short week. And I look across and it's Nick Chubb and it's Kareem Hunt. And, and honestly, on a short week, if I'm the Browns, that's exactly what I'm thinking is let's get the ball out of Six's hands and, and just ride these two running backs. Specifically, if Geno Atkins isn't there and Mike Daniels is less than 100%, as great as DJ Reader is, we saw when he was off the field what that run defense was. So if you get him tired out by running the ball, it's going to be really tough on this defensive line. So hopefully Atkins can go. I don't think so. But uh, hopefully Daniels can get to close to 100% for Thursday. I mean, even if Mike's only out there, Mike Daniels is only out there in a, you know, be a run stuffer capacity. Again, that's better than not having Mike Daniels available. I thought Christian Covington played fine, but the depth just gets, you know, kiddie pool side of depth pretty quick yeah. without those guys. Looking over at the Brown side of the injury report, though, Zach Conklin didn't practice with two injuries, an ankle and a finger injury. J.C. Treader, the center, didn't practice or would have been limited with a knee injury. And Jedrick Wills, the rookie tackle for the Browns, would have been limited with a shin injury. Meanwhile, Greedy Williams would have still been a non-participant with the shoulder. And Kevin Johnson, who's got a lacerated liver Still not ready to come back for the Browns. So both of these teams really beat up, not to even mention Olivier Vernon, who has an abdomen injury, walking wounded, really, heading into a short week in week two. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. 
this season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays or see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You'll also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes going inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the NFL's best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, and Devontae Adams. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to nfl.com slash game pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. Let's keep things rolling here on Locked on Bengals with a look back at how the offense performed against the Chargers on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. And Jake, there's a couple plays that stand out that I think a lot of fans have talked about since Sunday at around 7 Eastern or so or 7.30 Eastern when that kick went wide right. We already talked about Bullock a little bit. One play on offense that I, I look, I had reporters saying, oh, man, your guy. So I, I just it happens. Right. Um, had that happen in the press box. Anyways, uh, when John Ross was overshot by Burrow or when he short armed it or whatever, I don't I don't I can't call it a drop. I just can't. Um, because I, to me it wasn't a drop, but when they missed and they couldn't connect there in the third quarter, I think that's a play that a lot of Bengals fans, a lot of analysts talked about. And I'll give you my thoughts on this. Um, one, obviously I said it, it, it's not a drop to me. I do think that there was a, a world in which he caught it, even though it was a little overthrown. And by a little, I mean a little. It's just a little bit. But the I think the thing with Ross, one, people – already have made up their mind about him so that's part of it but the other part of it is i i I just think it's a a body language thing where it just it always seems like he's not given 100 percent, even if he is and that's how people view it so i watched it multiple times i went back and looked i don't think he slows up i think you could argue he, he should dive but it's really really hard in that situation in that scenario to dive because he's about three yards away from the back of the end zone anyway on his that, that plant foot. So I get being frustrated with him not diving, but I, I do think uh, that, you know, that it was just a, a little overthrown. And really what I chalk it up to is the fact that these guys really haven't worked together much and they were just a tick off. We saw it you know, with Burrow and Green a couple times. And I, I just I think that's part of it, and that's the risk you – risk reward when you do take deep shots downfield is sometimes you're going to be a little bit off in that little bit sometimes looks much much worse than it is but it, it's hard to, to connect on those deep shots yeah the the frustrating thing is that burrow missed all of his deep shots and there weren't very many of them and the guys were open on three of them so he missed a seam to uzama that that yuzo kind of trips on and it's hard to say if he trips because he reroutes to the ball or if he trips just because it happened he missed John Ross. You, you can debate that one, and I'll give my thoughts there in just a moment. And he badly missed A.J. Green two plays later on a little slant and go that Green runs out of the slot, and it's just a totally busted coverage. Joe Burrow, after the game, said a high schooler can make that throw. So very hard on himself, taking accountability, taking responsibility, which you'd like to see. Uh, I don't know that he needs to beat himself up necessarily so much, but obviously when he has the 
kind of play that he had at LSU, he's going to be very disappointed with a game like this when he shovel passes uh, a throw right to a defensive end, covering up a screen and misses those deep balls. And, you know, I, I, I bet he feels like he didn't get through his progressions the way he wanted to, didn't deal with the pocket the way he wanted to. But focusing on that Ross play, I, I think that Ross needs to make that play. I don't know if I'm quite calling it a drop in terms of like stone cold dead drop. I would call his sideline bobble a drop before I would call that that deep play a drop. And I, I do think that Ross takes some weird steps once he gets to the end zone. And if you if you watch, I think he maybe misjudges the ball a little bit or maybe thinks he has to th- thinks he's closer to the back of the end zone than he is at some point. Because he he he, t- he does take some weird steps there in the end zone, and and you can kind of see w- in in the still shot, and a lot of people have done this. They they've taken a, a still or they've got a short gif gif whatever of of right when the ball is either going off his fingertips, going through his hands, going just over his hands, and you can see just how long of a step that is. It, it looks like he's lunging, and it's, it's to me a very awkward step. So I think that something happened. And it was awkward for Ross there at the end of uh, near, near the back of the end zone, whether he whether he thought he whether he misjudged it, whether he thought he had to do something to keep his feet in. Uh, I think that it's a ball that he should have caught. I think it was a good enough throw. It wasn't a perfect throw like Joe Burrow said, but it was certainly good enough to be caught. And, you know, it, it's just it's just the ongoing frustration with Ross, right? He's. He's, he makes some big plays. He's in position for some big plays. And, and then they just barely miss sometimes. And that's the, the cumulative frustration of Bengals fans at this point with John Ross. I would assume that the, the long step would be, and I've, I haven't talked to John to know, and obviously Burrow's not going to throw him under the bus, the coaching staff, vice versa, right? Uh, that's not going to happen. But I would assume the long step was, oh, crap, this ball is – so far out there, let me try to get to, you know, and, and it, again, it's really, look, if there is a knock on Ross, at least at the NFL level, he didn't really show this at Washington, but at the NFL level, tracking has been an issue at times. And I think when, as they get more comfortable, maybe it won't be, but you know, he was open and whether it's Burrow overshot him or Ross thought he was farther in the end zone than he was, or he thought that the ball was just farther than it was, you know, and he could have taken maybe two steps instead of just lunging, because I know exactly what step you're talking about, that long step at the end where, where he does throw his body forward. It is frustrating, but I, I do think I'll clean it up and it'll get cleaned up um, on both ends as they get more experience and get used to each other. Uh, but, but look, that would have changed the game. And, you know, if that happens, who knows, um, what happens the, the rest of the way, but I, I think it could have uh, broken the game open a bit. What you have to like about about that play and about that sequence for the Bengals is, uh, and Dave Lapham apparently said today that the Chargers came out with a defensive front that the Bengals weren't expecting. And, and when Zach Taylor said at halftime, the sideline reporter for CBS said, Zach Taylor told her that the, the communication needs to be better on offense. To me, that spoke directly to the offensive line and is revealing that the Bengals weren't prepared for something the Chargers brought in the first half. I think it's one of the reasons that protection was better in the second half. Another reason the Bengals looked better in the second half is they went to more three-step drops. But 
the 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 encouraging thing that I that I started this point with was that when they had time, Joe Burrow isn't afraid to take that deep shot. And the other deep ball that we haven't talked about yet was a threaded sideline throw to AJ Green that he just barely doesn't drag his back foot goes out of bounds. That's that's the fourth and final deep throw of the game. And and Burrow just barely misses it. Maybe doesn't get quite enough on it. Maybe puts it a little bit too far out of bounds, maybe a little bit too high. But whatever whatever the issue was with the throw is just it's so minor. And and the thing that I love about the fact that they're pushing the ball when they finally let Burrow do it in the second half or he finally had time to do it is that's the kind of play that that makes Joe Burrow good is he 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 knows where those shots are and he's taking the good shots. In fact, the the only decision before looking at all twenty two that I think was truly inexcusable was was the shovel to Geo that gets intercepted because he he, he even said he saw Ingram the whole way, and, and there's just no way with with what he was able to get on the ball that he can get it in there, and even if he does, it's a loss, right? Just throw it to the ground, mm-hmm. you know, get get rid of the ball, but. The, the aggressive decision-making when it was there, I thought was really good. Now, there were a couple plays that I haven't been able to see yet where it looks like the Bengals are taking deep shots. It's a really long developing play. You see Burrow kind of pump or hesitate and then kind of take off or run. And and I, I wonder what he saw there. But for the most part, I, I really like the playmaking mentality. And and I think that if you're taking anything away from, from some of these plays, it's that that is there. And and sure, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow looked like a rookie a little bit sometimes, and it took him some time. But hey, first NFL action, and and as he got more comfortable, and the last drive was his best drive of the game, things started getting better, and he started showing some of those traits that we like so much at LSU. And that's why you got to keep taking these shots. Like I, I'm not not playing Ross. I get the fan base, you know. Oh, where's T Higgins? Where you know? Where, where's Auden Tate? Where's it? Look. Keep taking these shots because they're going to hit. It's going to happen. And and it might be Thursday. It might be the next week against the Eagles. It might be the next week against the Jags. But when they get rolling, and hopefully it's not that long. Hopefully it's Thursday. But when they get rolling, you're starting to see the potential here. And and let's not pretend that A.J. Green was uh, completely sharp. It was his first game in nearly two years. And I I think when when he reviews the film – uh, there's going to be times in things he looks at and he's like, oh, I'm a bit rusty at this or I'm a bit rusty at that. And you hope that the AJ we see three weeks from now isn't the AJ that we saw on Sunday uh, just from a you know route running standpoint, just from how crisp he can be. But, I mean, you saw it. You saw the potential there. And I think things were just to tick off in whether it's an excuse or a reason or whatever. Look, this is a brand-new quarterback, uh, a lot of moving pieces, and they didn't really have a lot of live reps. They just didn't. And so it's it's kind of expected. And you hope that on a short week where they're not going to get much practice time, they can watch the film, get on the same page, and be good to go against Cleveland because something tells me the Browns are going to be ready to play after getting their heads kicked in against the Ravens. There are a few possibilities there, right? One of them is the Browns are awful and they scored six points against Baltimore. One of them is that Baltimore is just really good in all phases of the game. And the other one is don't draw conclusions from week one. Th- those are all choices. And we're not going to know for a few weeks, really, what the reality is for these teams for the rest of 2020. And, and injuries obviously play a big part in every NFL team story every year. Coming up next, we're going to get into some of the PFF grades and snap counts and notes from the analytics company in the third part of today's show.
Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com, the family business that has the parts you need for your vehicle all in one incredibly easy to use and convenient, well-priced website, rockauto.com. Man, James, I know you love it. What's not to love? rockauto.com is the easiest way to get parts for your car or truck. The easiest, because however you're listening to this right now, Odds are that device, whether it's a laptop or a phone, you can order that car filter or the oil that you need or the windshield wipers or whatever you need for your car. Whatever part it is, you can get it at rockauto.com. They have over 300 different car makes. That's car makers, not models, makers. So they have your car. Go there, check it out. You can thank us later and you're going to save money when you do it. Don't go to the big box store. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Again, locked on in their how did you hear about us box. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Let's put a bow on week one, James, and get this really unfortunate game is the way is a word that I want to use behind us and look forward to this Browns game starting tomorrow. But but let's take a look at the PFF grades and, and the snap counts that PFF puts together first, because there's some really interesting notes here that that I think are worth pointing out. The first one is that Xavier Suafilo, according to PFF, had a fantastic first game for the Bengals, working out to a 75 and a half offensive grade, really good work in run blocking. Good enough work in pass blocking, about average there. And and the same goes for Mike Jordan, really. Similar grades in run blocking, similar grade in pass blocking. Those were the two highest graded Bengals, according to PFF, on the offense in week one. And and there are people out there on the Twitters, James, that think Billy Price played better than Xavier Suofilo. He did not, according to PFF, but Billy Price will get a chance to prove that he's got something left. I, I think he didn't play quite as bad as he was graded, and he wasn't graded very well. I, I counted one pressure given up, but they've got his uh, pass blocking grade at just a 48, so, so maybe he had some other losses that didn't result in pressure. But the offensive line on the whole didn't grade as badly as you might have thought they would because I think largely the second half was a lot better. Now, Bobby Hart's pass blocking grade was a 46, so so that wasn't good. But they also think he was the best run blocker on the team with an 82. So according to PFF, a really mixed day for Bobby Hart, who struggled with, with Joey Bosa's speed, power, inside moves, and did well as a run blocker. Jonah Williams, meanwhile, had a very average start, I'd say, across the board as a rookie. He did lose on inside moves, just like we saw all camp. It, it surfaced a few times in this game, but for his first NFL start against very tough opposition, you know, more or less happy with what we saw from Jonah. And, and there's obviously room to grow, but it was fine, I'd say, for, for a first start. 
It was. I would have taken it, right? It's just the, the problem is, and when you look at these grades, you're like, oh, well, Xavier Suofilo, he's in the green, right? He, he graded well, and Michael Jordan graded all right, and Bobby Hart was good at least in the run game. And you can go on and on. We talked about Jonah. But the reality is, is what the Bengals were hoping with this line is not to have individuals that were decent because we know what Bobby Hart is individually. We kind of know what Xavier Suofilo is individually. We were hoping that some of the parts, and I think this is a Dave Lapham term, some of the parts is greater than any one individual. And it was only one game. And again, no preseason, none of that. It's hard to get uh, all of the communication stuff down. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but it, it wasn't there. Right. That's what the offensive line. That's why they struggled so damn much in the first half, because as a unit, it was not there. It wasn't just Bobby Hart. They were just off and it was not good. And it has to be better moving forward because otherwise, yeah, you're going to see a good run blocking grade here, a good pass blocking grade here. But overall, the offensive line is still going to struggle because this group doesn't need just Michael Jordan to take a step forward. They need Jonah Williams to play well and Bobby Hart to have the best year of his career and Trey Hopkins to take a step forward and, and all of these guys together to be better than they are separate. And I did not see that Sunday. And we obviously had our doubts on this podcast about that. And while it is good to see Jordan, who I thought had a pretty good camp, take a step forward overall, I'm still really, really worried. And it's not just Bobby Hart still really, really worried about this offensive line. And the good news for week two is that at least there will, there will be tape of the Browns and, and they won't get totally caught off guard for like a quarter or two, hopefully. And, and or if they do, hopefully they adjust to it quicker. I mentioned a few times now, you know, they I think saw something in the Chargers defensive front they weren't ready for in terms of alignment and it really bit them. It did get better in the second half, however. I think communication got better. It wasn't them keeping extra guys in to block. They didn't do very much of that. The running backs only stayed in for 10 total snaps to pass block, and the tight ends only stayed in for a few more. Not a whole lot of pass blocking from guys that weren't offensive linemen on this team on Sunday. The other interesting notes here on the offense while we're here, John Ross led the way in total snaps for the team with 57 for skill players. Tyler Boyd's second for skill players with 55. And the wide receiver rotation featured most of that rotation on the outside where T. Higgins, Auden Tate, and Mike Thomas each got 15 snaps and had a pretty even breakdown of passing snaps and running running plays. But only Mike Thomas ended up drawing any targets for any of those guys after he had such a strong camp. So seven wide receivers active, all seven played on offense. But outside of the top few guys, only Mike Thomas sees any targets on offense. I can't deal with the receiver rotation being what it was on Sunday. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say that. I hope it is not the case on Thursday. And I don't really know who you cut out. You know, we we made a couple people upset last week when we speculated that maybe T. Higgins was going to be inactive. And I I get it. He needs experience and you want to get snaps. But the the coaching staff and Burrow – Feel pretty strong about Mike Thomas, clearly. I mean, he was out there on the final drive. First target of the game. You know, he was on that third down, yeah. Outside of Mixon, first target Sorry, of the game. Sorry, yeah. A little dump off. I mean, it barely counts as a pass. But, yeah, it's it's just interesting, you know, because there is a scenario where Mike Thomas is much better 
than than we saw with the Rams because he was really productive in college. And remember draft Twitter, there were a lot of people that thought that he was the good Mike Thomas. Remember that, which is crazy to say, <laughs> but, but you know, it's crazy, but clearly this coaching staff likes him. And so how do you keep seven wide receivers active? If Higgins, it, it, you know, isn't going to be a big special team or if Thomas isn't going to be a big special team, it's just tough. It's just tough. So I don't want to see, these major halls, uh, you know, of different inter- interchangeable guys. And maybe you will see it this week because it's a short week. But I think there's a rhythm thing to being a receiver, too, where you need touches early. You need a screen here, a screen there. Like, I don't want Tyler Boyd to go two quarters without a target. He's Tyler freaking Boyd. I-, I want him to get two to three targets a quarter on average. You know, A.J. Green, nine targets, that's about right. Uh, you know, so I, I just – it's weird. You know, and I don't have any problem with Ross, you know, having the most snaps. He stretches the defense out, especially with A.J. Green being limited to a degree. You know, on a, on a snap count, they were monitoring his snaps, whatever you want to call it. He had 45 snaps. So uh, no problem with that week one. But obviously that will change moving forward, I would say. I think Green will play more. Let's get some quick notes here on special teams before we talk defense. And, and the only thing that's interesting to me on special teams is Mike Thomas only playing on the kick return and punt return teams, not playing in any punt coverage. So it's Jordan Evans, Ethan Carter, Tony Brown, the rookie linebackers, Brandon Wilson, Samaji Piran, and Jermaine Pratt leading the way on special teams. And even Jesse Bates getting 10 special team snaps. And those came on punt or sorry, kick coverage and the field goal blocking unit. So Jesse Bates, who is the Bengals' best defensive player, that's the transition to the defense, also playing quite a bit of special teams. And man, did Jesse Bates ball out on defense. He was targeted, according to PFF, three times, had two pass breakups, gave up only one catch for seven yards on throws in his direction, made two fantastic plays on the ball, one near pick on a deep shot to Mike Williams, another pass breakup on a target to Hunter Henry in the corner of the end zone, and you really can't ask for more from Jesse Bates. He, he played pretty well across the board. Good tackling, good coverage. By far the Bengals' best defensive player on Sunday. And the key was, and he kind of gave it up. He talked to reporters. He talked to us on Monday. And he said Tyrod had some tells to his game, which is I love. I love that he was, he was honest about it. He was like, look, I have a good feel for Tyrod. Uh, and he said, quote, a lot of times on third down, he was going to the single side three by one. So I had a really good jump off of him yeah. because he was. He was covering a ton of ground. He was flying. It felt like he was everywhere. He wasn't afraid to deliver big hits. And I know he got penalized and all that, but still deliver big hits. I, I just I loved what he did. And the play in the end zone to Hunter Henry is a play that's always a touchdown against the Bengals. Always, always, always. It, it, for the past 20 years, there's been a tight end that a quarterback like Tyrod Taylor, who's a middle of the road veteran that's really on the the back nine as far as there being an NFL starter is concerned uh, finds that tight end in that situation and that diving uh pass breakup was just it was huge so he played great I love Bates's game I talked a lot about it with you uh over the past couple of months I think him and Bell are a perfect tandem for one another I think they make each other better uh work-wise as well as you know football stylistically and uh, it was uh, it was really good to see him get off to a good start. And they're really going to need him. I said it earlier, but they're really going to need him this week. Talking about Jarvis, Odell, Austin Hooper, another good tight end. The Browns have weapons. Say what you want about them, but they have weapons. So it's going to be another challenge for Bates and the rest of the secondary. 
They will be down one weapon as David Njoku went on IR for the Browns today. The next few highest-graded Bengals for PFF were DJ Reader at number two with an excellent run defense grade, although he didn't generate any pressure according to their marks on Sunday. Sam Hubbard coming in third with a really good day in run defense. And again, a really poor day in pass rushing. And I think that's mostly because he got stiff-armed by Tyrod Taylor when he should have had a sack that instead led to a charger first down. Mackenzie Alexander coming in fourth with a really good day in coverage for PFF. He was targeted once, didn't give up a catch there. Although his run defense grades weren't quite as high as you would like them to be for what they brought him in for. And he didn't have a single tackle in the whole day. Uh, Coming up next was Carl Lawson. And toward the bottom is is where it gets troublesome. Carlos Dunlap not making a positive impact really on the day for PFF. Darius Phillips, of course, we know what happened to him in coverage. Mike Daniels, who was struggling with an injury down there at the bottom, although I thought he was mostly okay until DJ Reader went out. And then 17, 18, 19, the lowest graded Bengals, Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis-Gaither, and and the rookie linebackers just absolutely destroyed in coverage grades for PFF, who has them down for five catches allowed combined on five targets for over 70 for, for 75 yards. So not a good day for those rookies in coverage, according to PFF. And I personally haven't had a chance to go back and watch the defense yet, but I'll be very interested to see if my viewing experience lines up with PFF there. And I mentioned it on Sunday's show, the fact that there was multiple times where Keenan Allen just snuck it, it, the, the linebackers were in zone and he just snuck it and, and stopped in front of Logan Wilson. And I think that's just, there was at least two catches that I remember, and they were for first downs. So you're going to get dinged there because Wilson was like playing a spot, but Allen was like three yards away. And at least from my vantage point, it was like, well, obviously the ball might be going there. You might want to make a move towards it. But look, these these young linebackers, and rookie linebackers usually grade poorly on pro football focus. They're going to be learning on the fly. I was impressed with some of the things they did. Obviously, they're more athletic than past Bengals linebacking cores. And hopefully they can learn from their mistakes and, and keep growing. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Tomorrow we shift our attention to the future because it will be, well, it'll be Tuesday as we record Wednesday's episode, which means we're going to be one day away from game day. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.